recording last week but as always i am joined by my pal the chief dennis dungy denny what's going on today well to me we got a lot going on happy to be back as you said we're a little delayed coming and doing with this show we came early last week from the spring meeting which was fantastic had a little golf challenge going on there we were happy to have section president howie friday on as a guest uh, then we had the spring meeting and we uh, finished up with some golf where the first tee was the winning team for the charitable donation. Uh, and Mark Moriarty, in a very special move, decided to split the purse. So, you know, we, we look forward to contributing to both the first tee and the foundation to kick off the fundraising season. You know, our producer was on vacation. So, again, a little delayed coming to you, but we're looking forward to it. Got a lot of sports stuff happening. A lot of stuff going on there. We can talk about today. Before we get into our banter, unfortunately, we have some sad news to report. Former section member Jim McMahon passed away this past Saturday, the 16th. He was a professional at Tower Ridge, Weathersfield, Rolling Meadows, and most notably at Wampanoag Country Club, where he was the head golf professional from 1999 to 2010 before being promoted to the director of golf at Wampanoag, which he served from 2010 to 2012. Our thoughts and prayers and condolences are with the McMahon family at this time. Certainly uh, unfortunate news there, and like you said, Denny, thoughts and prayers are with his family and loved ones in this time of need. Uh, we'll transition that a little bit into some section news here. Obviously, we've talked about it at length leading up to the spring meeting, but great kickoff to spring. The weather uh, cooperated that day. We got a rare, nice day here in April, and golf was fun, and stand-up guy Mark Moriarty obviously coming through there for the foundation. Uh, but, you know, you had your uh, PGA Hope tra uh, training this week. Uh, I sent out the PGA Junior League Leagues, the official leagues last week. Had some fun with some of those league names and, uh, as always, help from Tom on that one. Uh, 17U, everybody's been contacted about that. Uh, the godfather, John Dipolina, commissioner of the 17U League, as I've, uh, I've been calling him, uh, doing the, the Jamboree-style events that they've done in the past and have worked well. Uh, 17 U is obviously a little bit different. The kids are a little older. You don't need as much uh, oversight uh, for the matches there. So each or the facilities participating in that uh, are hosting events. You get about 100 kids out there per event. But the nice thing is that you only have to host one. You don't have to travel. It's kind of up to the, the hosting coach to organize all that and, and everything there. So those are fun days. And again, if you would like to participate in that and have a 17 U program, contact John Dipolina. Uh, so we're off and running now, PGA Junior League, weather's starting to change, junior golf registration for the junior tour is still booming, um, and I don't know what you have to say about uh, training on Monday, as I was, was not there for that. Yeah, PGA Hope training on Monday, we had nine new instructors that went through the training session with Judy Alvarez, and welcome them to the PGA Hope family. Uh, with that said, PGA Hope programming gets started next Wednesday, the 27th of April. We are at capacity for both the Goodwin Park and the Springfield sessions. We're looking forward to graduating our 100th veteran. But as I kind of talked about at the spring meeting, there's 45 
thousand veterans between New Haven, Hartford, and Springfield. So uh, as a small section, we have a huge story to tell. And with that, uh, I'm going to plug the fundraising initiative again. Um, obviously, the foundation supports the PGA Hope program, helps underwrite uh, some of the cost of it. So, um, you know, strongly suggest getting out there and doing some form of fundraising this year. I know Ian talked about a fun fundraising initiative we're going to do later this year. But I know, uh, you know, the likes of Mark Bayram over at Timberland is, uh, has the Pro-Am also taking place on April 27th. Um, and a portion of that fee goes to the foundation as a little fundraising initiative. So we appreciate that for Mark and look forward to many others getting involved and uh, helping support all the great programs that the foundation is supporting themselves. Absolutely. A lot of good stuff going on there. Again, a lot was discussed at the spring meeting with the big focus on fundraising this year. So we look forward to uh, a lot more of our golf professionals participating in fundraisers this year. So keep us posted on those. Lauren can get some information or help help uh, you know show how great you are and uh, the great things that you are doing. So let us know that you are doing a fundraiser. Help us help you, as what we've said in the past. So looking forward to some things there. Uh, I don't think we have too much other section stuff going on. We have a little bit of a, a lull as far as the calendar goes. I know we have the Pro Pro at Tumblebrook on May 2nd. It's kind of our next uh, event where we might see some people. Obviously, the Pro-Am, some of you guys will see each other at, at Timberland there, the home of the players. But uh, other than that, I think we can transition into a lot of sports talk that we have missed out on in this last uh, week off. So I will start with, where should we start? Let's start with uh, some college hoops, as that's been kind of a hot topic that we've discussed throughout the tenure of Bunker Banter. I'll first say that friend of the show, Ron Beck, did stop by the other day. And he is now off the hook. He officially paid up from his from our little uh, Illinois Rutgers bet that we had a couple months ago. So those of you out there that I sent out to hunt down Ron Beck, I'm uh, now calling off the dogs, and he is he is free of his debt. Wow, that's that's good to hear. Thanks for stopping by, Ron. It was fun uh, sharing some stories with you yesterday, and certainly glad you got Timmy his payment because I know he was starting to get a little flustered, and uh, you know had the dogs chasing you. Yeah. And you've seen my lunches too, Danny, so I think it's nice that I'm actually going to get a nice sandwich meal and not my usual rabbit food that, yeah. I, that I eat. So. Yeah, the bunny rabbit food. Um, but uh, other big news coming in hot last night was Jay Wright deciding to retire from his post uh, 21 years at Villanova. Obviously well regarded as a probably one of the top five coaches in all of college basketball. He's really built up that program. And he is out, and his former, I believe he was an assistant there, Kyle Neptune, who had taken the job at Fordham, is now in. So shocking news, I will say, in the college basketball world. Yeah, definitely a huge loss for the NCAA basketball world, but also just for Villanova itself. Um, you know, obviously four Final Four appearances. Uh, you know, 2016 and 2018, they, they went on the championship run. So he's looking to move on. I, I've got a kind of a little hunch of where he yeah. may be looking. Um, but, you know, I talking to our dear friend Johnny Pickles, you know, we kind of agreed, too, that, you know, maybe he's just taken a step back. He, he was successful at Villanova, doesn't really have much more to prove. So, you know, maybe he's just taking some time to catch his breath. I think they said he's turning 60 years old this year. Uh, but I have a feeling there may be a little bit of a transition from East Coast to West Coast. Uh, there's, a, there's an opening at a another 
organization Showtime. that is uh, in search of a head coach, and that would be the Los Angeles Lakers. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I certainly think the Lakers would be willing to, as they said on the radio station I was listening to this morning, back the Brinks truck up right to Jay Wright's front door uh, and drag him out that way. So uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, definitely we'll see where it goes. But I think, uh, you know, some of the, the chatter that I've heard and, you know, we even talked about it with Ron when he stopped in the other day uh, for lunch was, you know, the whole transfer portal topic that's kind of been going around. And it's a you mess. Know, it's, it's an absolute disaster. And it's, you know, it's basically turned into free agency. And I think it kind of quietly moved in. I don't know if it was initially like a COVID rule because of everything that was happening there or what, but now... You got kids transferring all over the place every year, and they're playing on three or four different schools during their tenure, and they're not having to miss any time and, and all that stuff. And personally, I thought the old rule of you have to sit out was a little silly because I think certain circumstances, uh, you know, if, if a coach leaves or, you know, you're a mid-major kid who's a late bloomer and you kind of get recruited there and you, you blossom and you, you have an opportunity to go play, you know, at one of these top-tier schools that could help your basketball career, I think that you should be allowed to, you know, transfer and not have to sit out of here. But when we're talking about, you know, the kid on Nebraska is now going to play on Ohio State and then next year he's going to play for Rutgers. And, you know, from a coaching standpoint to the point uh, we were talking about with Jay Wright, not only do you have to recruit these kids now, which is, which is a tough task in itself, but now you're, you're worrying about NIL deals and retaining these kids. And it's a, it's a wild landscape, and I think they're really going to have to keep an eye on this going forward. Yeah, and I, I think I was, I was saying to John when I was talking to him the other day too, you know, for me, I guess maybe I'm a little bit old school in that if you're talented, you're going to advance. So if your goal as a, as a student athlete is to hopefully play professionally someday and get recognized, yeah, you know, maybe going to a UConn or a Villanova is going to get you a little more recognition. But at the end of the day, if you're talented enough, it doesn't really matter where you play those scouts are going to find you and you're going to advance in your career. So I think this opportunity to bounce around all over the place is just, it's not a good thing for the, for the student athletes. I, in my opinion, I, I think they're going to get caught up and the next thing you know, they're going to be in school for six, seven, eight years because they're not progressing as in their schoolwork as much as they are on the basketball court or football field or wherever it is. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's, a For complete sure. mess right now. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the NCAA always wants to kind of keep everything, you know, oh, we're an amateur, you know, student athlete, student athlete. They always stress that, and obviously now with the NIL deals, which I think are very fair. I think it's a long time coming and allows some of these kids who are, you know, like a Geo Baker who's a Rutgers legend. He's not going to really go anywhere with his basketball career, but now he, you know, during the during the summer he can run his own camp and make some bucks. And I think that's that's kind of what it's really intended for. But it, it really, the more you transfer and the more, like Dennis discussed, it's a free agency kind of thing. It definitely takes away the student out of the athlete, which maybe that's really just a fake thing that really hasn't been in existence for a while anyway. But it's something that needs to be monitored, and uh, we'll see how it affects more teams. I know UConn lost a bunch of people. Rutgers was one of the few teams that I saw that actually didn't lose anybody, but... Crazy times there, but you know we can we'll save save more discussion uh, for a later date, and we'll bop right over to uh, we'll go to MLB next, and you know obviously the season's underway, and MLB season kind of just it tends to lull people to sleep, but I, I want to point out one thing 
obviously as a Yankee fan, they've been they they're this new new era, I guess new uh, small uh, small ball kind of team on offense. Wow, that perks my interest. That perks <laughs> yeah, my interest. Yeah, like I, it was kind of frustrating, or it has been frustrating me for sure. Because you have Judge and Stan, and they're not really, you know, Judge has one RBI, and, you know, they'll, they'll come around. I'm not really worried about it. But, you know, watching last night's game, they had, I think they scored probably three runs on outs. So you had the little dinker by uh, Anthony Rizzo when they had the infield in, and Higashioka broke right off the bat from third and scored. Uh, you had uh, IKF with the single up the middle. The guys at the bottom of the lineup, you got, uh, I forget what the other one was where they scored an out, but... Small ball Yankees doing it with pitching and not a lot of home runs, so it's been interesting. But the real thing I did want to point out was I watched uh, Otani last night. I had the dual screen Angels and Yankees going at the same time. And, I mean, it's insane to me how the lack of publicity he gets for doing what he's doing and doing something that hasn't literally never been done for the most part. Obviously, Babe Ruth, but the dude was batting leadoff last night. He had a perfect game through five with 12 strikeouts. He's bunting for hits. He's walking. He's doing everything, and it's it's awesome to watch. Oh, sorry. You, <laughs> you lulled me to sleep with baseball. Ah, jeez. <laughs> I'm that fan that gets lulled to sleep, um, you know, and then I'll start watching again in playoffs. But I, I did pick up on a couple things. Uh, Garrett Cole got booed off the mound in Good. Detroit. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, I think he threw like an inning and a third or an inning and two thirds. He didn't make it out of the second inning. He was at like 70 pitches. I mean, the guy's making $320 million. What a bust. Yeah. It's, and he's, <laughs> and the sad part is, I mean, his stuff, like, you know, say what you want about the spider tack and his stuff looks pretty good. It's mentally, this dude is a, is, you saw what happened on the whole opening day where he's freaking out because Billy Crystal's out there throwing his first pitch 10 seconds before he can get to the mound. Four minutes. Yeah, insane. So he's bugging out about that. He's he's throwing, He's trying to stay warm like a little leaguer out in front of the dugout like while play is going on the other day. And I get it. It was like 35 degrees. So I'm not, I mean, that definitely played a factor with all the pitchers that day. But he just seems like he is so, he's, he's too regimented where if something little goes off, he just loses his mind and he can't figure out how to battle out of it and out of a what's supposed to be a true ace very concerning yeah well and that leads me to we haven't had a chance to talk about it here on bunker banter but you and i talked a little bit about it the uh, clayton kershaw perfect game through seven 80 pitches and they pull him out it's insane 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 and, and i think this Gets us back on track to our ADM model that we're trying to follow here in the golf industry, um, where you want your kids playing all sports, not just one sport. And, you know, that's kind of the conversation that I've heard is that, you know, in the baseball world and even all the other sports that, you know, kids are just playing baseball year round. And by the time they get to the big stage, they're, they're done and they just check out too quick. Um, one other note in baseball that I saw, that the pitch clock, I think they did it in the minor leagues there, and it is speeding up the game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see see what happens there. I have a little article on it, but I forget actually what it says. I looked at it yesterday, but a pretty interesting article on the pitch clock and how it's speeding up the game. So maybe that'll be 
beneficial for the major leagues for, and for Garrett Cole, you know, so he'll get on the mound in the, in the right amount of yeah. time. Anything. At this point, I'll take anything because I'm getting a little worried. But, yeah, I think it just it pro- provides more flow to the game where you're not, you know, a batter stuck in stepping out, doing the whole no-mar, let's adjust everything five million times. So more flow. And on that note, on the, the pitch clock, we had an eight-pitch, you know, the, the perfect inning, nine, three strikeouts, nine pitches. We had... Three strikeouts, eight pitches with the Woo Sox, the yeah. Worcester Woo Sox, because the, box. The, the guy didn't get in the box, so he paid up on uh, two strikes. So that was it. So that was fun to see. But uh, I'll move off of baseball because I know it's lulling everyone to sleep right now, um, and we'll go into some other things. Uh, let's let's do uh, let's do Harbor Town. Let's cover some uh, PGA Tour golf. Harbor Town, RBC yeah. Heritage. It was great to see Morgan Hoffman return. Uh, you and I read the article about his journey to Costa Rica. Um, I think he's got one start left now uh, to get whatever measures he has to get to to keep his tour status. Uh, so it was good to see him back out there. Uh, Cameron Young, a name that we've mentioned multiple times here on the show, um, son of a PGA member down in the Mets section, but he was the first round leader. Um, ended up finishing tied for third. Harold Varner the third, 63 in the third round, pretty impressive. Uh, but man, Jordan Spieth, in the final round. Yeah, getting it done. Incredible, yeah. Getting it done. And that yeah. was after his little uh, let's not pay attention and the putting looked like looked like me out there on the <laughs> end of Saturday. <laughs> it's like he was looking around, good, good, and there was no good, good. Then he just jacked up that putt and lipped out there and not a great way to finish that round. And he did play okay on Saturday too, but, uh, you know, kind of, you know, talking about mental toughness and, Personally, I think he's a little bit mentally uh, off as well with his whole swing routine, and he's a little bit of a nutcase too, but battled through, I think, there, and, and obviously came out victorious, and the place, from what I understand, is a pretty exclusive, you got get, get, to get over there and go through all these different checkpoints and everything, and it looked pretty cool, and it's obviously way different than what everybody just saw at Augusta. A lot of trees in the way, from what I could tell, and a lot of people shaping shots in there and couldn't quite get to certain pins, and... I thought it was fun. I thought it was a good time watching, and we've talked about the spectator aspect, and you know we had it we had it on in the background all day for, for Easter and things, and people were people were talking about golf, and it was it was cool. Yeah, it would definitely be a fun course to go set up. I think for for an event because, uh, as you said, you know the tree line fairways, you gotta shape your shots, and you can set some hole locations up where you gotta hit a particular shot shape into a hole. So, uh, would definitely be a good one, uh, a fun one to set up. And then obviously this weekend is the Zurich Classic down in Louisiana, the walk-up music and all the likes of that. So kind of trying to mirror almost a little bit of what goes on out at the Waste Management. And again, another another event that's good for golf, good for the game. Yeah, I think the more you get those kind of events mixed in with, you know, obviously there are certainly the Augustas and the Masters and the Majors and some of the, we'll call them more serious events, but... I think it's good to kind of have, I think the players enjoy it. I think the fans who attend those events enjoy it. And just watching on TV, you can kind of feel the different vibe and, you know, that golf isn't isn't this stuffy thing and everybody's having fun and, you know, keeping it loose and, and easy. And uh, I think it'll be a good one this weekend. So we keep riding this train of uh, fun golf events here to start the season. And eventually we'll get to the Travelers and they seem to just keep announcing big name after big name. I know the tickets are on sale I saw the email come through, I think, yesterday. So I'm sure that'll be a packed crowd over at TPC in June. 
Yeah, and just as a reminder, we announced that at the spring meeting, uh, Nathan wasn't uh, able to attend because he was at a PGA Tour meeting, uh, but Nathan did uh, have us recognize that they're going back to uh, full capacity, which means that PGA members uh, do have access to the event. Um, so uh, be sure to utilize that if you can get away for a day or two and check out that event. I've always, I tell everybody, I've been there a couple times and uh, I haven't been to many tour events, but it is out of the ones that I've been to probably one of the most fan friendly events. I mean, you're right up there on some of the tees and right around some of the greens where you can hear the conversations that are going on between the player and caddy and uh, it's just it's an interesting place to be and obviously that's kind of what they're living on and that's why they keep getting the uh, the players that they're getting into the field to come back year after year so uh, some excitement there i know you're not a huge basketball fan uh, but it is nba playoff season and the philadelphia 76ers are in the mix and have a i, I think a great shot the big man the process and joel Embiid hits the three with a couple seconds left in overtime yesterday to take a 3-0 lead over the Raptors. And then on the other side, we have the Nets, who are absolutely struggling, which me personally, I, I like to see when teams that are shelling out dollars to bring in individual players struggle because, I mean, at the end of the day, these are all team sports that we're talking about and you rely on your players. Um, but I guess the, the frustrating part for me is that I you're constantly hearing you know, that KD, Kevin Durant is, you know, the best player in basketball right now. Kyrie Irving's the best player in basketball, arguably, whatever, whoever one, you know, whichever one you're favoring. But to me, you're not the best player in basketball if you can't adjust and you're going one for 17 in playoff games and, you know, when it counts. Yeah, and I think that that sums it up. And, you know, basket, the NBA in particular is a sport where you can have singular people kind of carry your team more than any other sport for sure. I mean, look at what LeBron has done over the over his career. Obviously, recently he's been surrounded by a lot of talent, but early on in his career, he was the only guy and he was taking some really bad teams there. But not to get too, too sidetracked, you're seeing what happens in the playoffs every year and that's teams play defense. Now, I know the Celtics for the entire year have played pretty good defense. Smart is named the defensive player of the year, so he's game in and game out playing and you know, those guys tend to play a little more defense anyway, but, I mean, Kevin Durant getting blocked like he's getting blocked is something that I have never seen ever, and Tatum is just laying it on him. And, you know, the star players, yes, you, you kind of, they need to mix in other players, and then when the time has come, okay, give me the ball and let me do my thing. Right now, what you're seeing from the Nets side of things is they have nobody else doing anything else because they don't really have a great supporting cast, and the Celtics and their coach, former assistant uh, with the Nets, is basically just taking Durant and Kyrie away, and they're con they haven't had any easy looks, and they're saying, let's get beat by these other guys. Let Seth Curry beat us, and that's what's happening. Yeah, and it's not happening, really, well, is, yeah. is, is how it's coming down to. But I think the other interesting thing, too, uh, the conversation leading into the playoffs was our dear friend, former Sixer Ben Simmons, yeah. who... I could have a whole show just about him, uh, but we'll, we'll keep those comments to myself. Yes. Uh, but now all of a sudden, all these reporters and media are like, well, they need Ben Simmons back. So, uh, again, I, I think it's a joke, um, but if they want him to come back and play, listen, I hope they advance and the Sixers get a, get a shot at him in that case because uh, Ben Simmons is going to be paraded to the line 
to make a foul shot. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. And it's funny because everybody coming into this, this postseason is like, ah, oh, we don't really need Ben Simmons. We can have him do whatever. Maybe he comes off the bench for a few minutes and does that. But now everybody's like, oh, we need Ben Simmons. And I think, yes, going forward, he makes that team much more balanced because he takes the, some of the pressure, ball handling pressure, and you know he's a good defensive player, and he doesn't need to score. He doesn't need to go get his shots. He can let the other two score, and he can facilitate. But for right now, the dude hasn't played in a year. And the vid- I mean, they're acting like he has, in the videos that I've seen, they're like retraining him how to play basketball. So I don't think you want to throw him out there down 2-0 to a very hot Celtics team. So the Nets are in trouble, and the Sixers are riding high. So we'll see how things play out there. Yeah, you know what's going to come out of this is uh, sports psychology is going to take even another level uh, into the atmosphere because you got guys like Ben Simmons and Garrett Cole that need to go see a sports psychologist. So uh, if you don't have a degree yet, that's one to go get because I think it's going to be needed here shortly. Let's talk some football. I don't remember if he's playing in the USFL or the Fan League, whatever it is, but my man T.O., Terrell Owens, catching touchdowns left and right. It's insane. I mean, the dude has always been an absolute physical specimen. I mean, all I can think about is him doing crunches yeah. in his driveway <laughs> with Drew Rosenhaus saying no comment. That's my. That's like. That's always gonna be my vision of To. But the dude's 48 and he's out there catching TDs and whatever the heck league he's playing in. And I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, and, and my other fond memory is when he caught the touchdown and ran out to the middle of Cowboys Field yeah. in the middle of a star as an eagle and just kind of bash the he's star. A, he's a stud. <laughs> no, he's an absolute stud and. You know, I have no interest in whatever league he's playing in or the USFL <laughs> or anything like that. I think it's insane. But uh, on the NFL side of things, we obviously have the draft coming up. But I think we've also seen a lot of this craziness with the wide receivers all of a sudden <laughs> seem to just want to go out and get paid and demand trades. And uh, you saw it, obviously, with the Christian Kirk deal early on where he got a crazy deal. And he's he's a good wide receiver, but... I think that raised some eyebrows from some other guys, and Devontae Adams was willing to leave his best pal Aaron Rodgers, and you know Tyreek Hill got traded, and now Cooper Cup saying, you know, I don't necessarily need to be the highest paid, but I want to be fairly paid, and then obviously Debo Samuel coming out of nowhere just saying, trade me. So the wide receivers are uh, being divas, I guess we'll say. Yeah, I I don't have much to say about this. I, I heard. There's rumor going around that you're going to demand a trade from the Connecticut PGA section, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> Man, hush, hush. Was that like Adam Schefter reporting that on the side? Jeez. Uh, and then yeah. just kind of closing out the NFL, I saw Marshawn Lynch. Did you see that? Uh, yes. What did he just he, do? He's a, he's a part or a minority owner now of the Seattle Kraken, and to introduce himself... He got out on the Zamboni and was doing donuts in the middle of the ice uh, Love on the Zamboni. Yeah, I think so. Macklemore. Uh, Macklemore, yeah, 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 I saw it. Partnered yeah, up yeah. with him as well. So. Yeah. Listen, yes. Marshawn Lynch, he's a fun guy. Yeah. He's yeah. somebody who I would like to hang out with, I think. Yeah, so. But I think uh, I think that kind of wraps up. I mean, we can talk forever about this. So if anybody wants to come over and have lunch one day, we'll talk sports with you then. <laughs> but we'll cut it off for now and uh, come back at you next week. As always, follow us on uh, our Instagram page, download an Apple podcast, uh, enjoy your Thursday, and we will see you again next week.